If you have your Bibles, go with me to the book of Ephesians, chapter 3. The book of Ephesians, chapter 3. I'm going to preach on verse 16 again. So, there's no hopes of us getting through Ephesians ever. In Panera Bread, studying, writing the first sermon I wrote on this passage. Meaning, well, I wrote a sermon this past week and then wrote a second sermon this past week because I didn't like the first one. Uh, so, I don't know if you know what that's like, Nick, but uh, uh, I was done on Thursday, thought I was done, came home, worked through some of it with Rusty, just it wasn't settling well in my spirit. And, and, um, and what the meaning is still the same. It's just a different path to get there. Um, and uh, something I think would be a path that's more helpful for us as a church. And so anyway, so I, I was supposed to be off on Friday, but I took the first half to three quarters of the day to rewrite the sermon. Um, anyway, so all that to say, I was at Panera Bread on Thursday, and, and I was talking to a gentleman, uh, and he said, uh, what are you doing in Ephesians? I said, I'm teaching. Through, oh, what do you do? I'm a pastor. And so on and so forth, and we were talking about Ephesians, and I said, you know, this is, I said, I think this is like the 28th week that we're in Ephesians, to which Rusty later corrected me, like 31 or something like that, 32, and he goes, oh, really? That long in Ephesians? And I mean, how do you answer that, you know what I'm saying? Like, I was like, yep, <laughs> and I'm preaching the second sermon on the same verse this week. Anyways, <laughs> If you guys have noticed, we kind of speed up, then we kind of slow down, we got to speed up, slow down, you know, and, and that's, that's the, one of the joys of not being so rigid and topical type series and stuff, is we can kind of go through the passage and, and let the Holy Spirit do some impromptu leading. I mean, He leads certainly in preparing and planning, but He can also lead in some improvisational situations. So... Uh, Anyways, so here we are. We're going to be a second week. I'm actually going to add the first part of verse 17 this week. So it is technically a little different. but So we'll be in 16 through 17a this week. All right, so let's talk real quick. Let's catch us all up to where we're at just in these three verses and then the first half, for four and a half, three and a half verses that we will have covered so far by the time we get done with this in this section of Paul's praying for spiritual strength. The last two weeks, let me give you a quick summary. Verse 1, we talked about, like, let, me, let me back up. We've been talking about prayer. We've been talking about prayer. There's, there you go. Then we talked about, the first week we talked about the posture and the frequency of praying matters. The posture and the frequency of praying matter. We talked about a ton of other things, obviously. I talked for an hour. But this posture and frequency matters. The posture of Humility and reverence. And then the continual communing with God is something that matters. Then second week, we talked about praying to the heart. Not praying for the heart, necessarily, but more specifically, praying to the heart. And what I meant by that is that we should tend to the inner man first and circumstances second. But we live in a world where only the physical tends to matter, and if I get around to the spiritual, then I just happen to get around to it. 
But if you notice in this prayer, Paul does not pray. I mean, they're under persecution. He's in prison. And he doesn't pray for that to change. Not that it's wrong for us. James talks about praying for healing. Praying for circumstances. So it's certainly not wrong to do that. But I think there's an order of priority and an order of importance. Well, Paul doesn't pray for those things to change. But instead, what does he pray? Even looking back at 13, he says, So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. So he's saying, I'm suffering for you, but don't lose heart. So he's, he, the circumstances, they may change, they may not change. I'm going to pray about those. But my most important thing to me is that you, your heart is trusting in the Lord. No, I think that's what he means by take heart. Don't lose heart. Trust. So what we talked about is that the idea of communing with God spiritually should come first. That interacting and living in relationship with God comes first. The inner being comes first. I mean, just look at your past week. I don't want to pre- re-preach this sermon, but look at your past week. What did you give most of your time to? Now, I get it. So we have to go to work. That's biblical. That's going to take up at least 40 to 50 hours of a week, depending on your job and so on and so forth. And that's largely physical. I get that. You're physically there. You're mentally even having to take care of that job. And so, so I don't mean spe- like, okay, so because I spent 40 hours here and I only spent five minutes reading my Bible, that makes me a sinner. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is Look at what was a priority to, this you, to you this week. Particularly, particularly this, when you had an opportunity to spend your time however you wanted to. Okay? When you could click a few extra pages on the internet for whatever crazy reason you deemed it important, or you could go read your Bible and spend time in prayer. Okay? Or you could flip the channel on the TV a few more times, or you could spend time in prayer. Those times when you had a choice. And be careful that you're not making up, well, I really needed to be on the internet. I mean, like, did you really? Okay? I mean, they got along without it for thousands and thousands of years. Same with the TV. I mean, I'm preaching to myself, but that's not even the sermon for the day. All right. God's design, here's the deal. God's design is not to remove or change the circumstances. Like, yes, God does that, and God can do that, but that's not what's most important. But instead, to take our hearts to a place where we worship and trust Him above all else. That's where God's taking us to. I mean, you've got to think pre-fall, so before Adam and Eve sinned, but better. Adam and Eve knew not what it was like to be without God until they sinned. So they just experienced communion with God. Not knowing what they would lose. We know what it's like to be without God. So there's a sense in which that's even better because we know what it's like to be without God and then we, now we can commune with God and be set free. So what he's doing, we talked about last week, is that he is building up a resistance in us to the rebellious world around us and the sinful flesh within us. So he's building up a resistance that we can walk through circumstances in a way that brings him glory. Right? Yes, God gets glory from removing circumstances or change, certainly. But he also gets glory from enabling his creatures to glorify him as they walk through it. And I would argue that that's the way God primarily works. Just study the scriptures. 
I mean, how long were the Israelites in captivity? And God certainly didn't change their circumstances for a long time, right? And then he delivers them to what? To wander around in the wilderness. To do what? To trust him with everything. For food. For water. Okay, you get the point. Ephesians 2, verse 22. I want to start there and then work through 17a. We're just going to read that real quick. So verse 22. In him you also, being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So this is chapter 2, verse 22. By God, or a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. I want you to look back. This is not going to be on the screen. But look back at chapter 1 and verse 10. As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. All right, so that's his plan. That his ultimate plan is to unite all things in Jesus. Where does that begin? Verse 20, 21, 22 of chapter 2, where he's talking about this idea of taking two men, the Jews and the Gentiles, uniting them into one church, and then building a dwelling place for himself among those people. All right? That's where that begins. The uniting of all things in Christ begins with his church and then works itself out from there. So think that, right? There's this think that picture. Paul says now, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. So for this reason, I worship God. That the posture of my prayer is that of worship. And he says, from whom every family in heaven and or on earth is named. We talked about how Paul is referring there to the redeemed family. Not all people. But that he's the father of the redeemed family. The people that, this is why it's important to know why it's for this reason. Or one of the reasons, rather. From whom every family on earth is named. That he's the father of the redeemed. The ones united in Christ. And he says this, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through the Spirit, through his Spirit, in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I want to pray for us as we work through this passage. Father, I just pray that, um, that you'd give us hearts to hear your word. That you, that you would even in this moment help us to walk step by step with the Spirit. That moment by moment, thought by thought, word by word, whether it's my mouth or our ears listening, that you would help us defer and yield to the Spirit as we go. It's in your Son's name we pray. Amen. So this week, here's where we're going. If we are to tend to the inner man, right? If we are to tend to the spiritual side of our existence, first and foremost, how do we get at that? That's really kind of the basic question that I want to answer today is, how do we get at that? How do we get going at the process of caring for the inner man? I talked last, couple, last week about how a lot of times you and I, when we go to the inner man, there's nothing there. And that breaks my heart. It breaks my own heart when I go I'm like, there's not, like, there should be more here. How do we get at that? How do we begin to care for and nurture the inner man? 
How is it that we build up resistance to the sin of this world? And when I say that, what I mean is there's rebellion out there that we should resist as in not falling into temptation. But there's also rebellion out there that causes consequences that then fall down on top of us. Whether that's uh, sicknesses or terrible government or, or shootings. I mean, those, those things tend to walk their way into our lives and and we need to know how to resist that, not in a way that will be gone with this, but in a way that we walk through it and glorify God. But then also resisting sin that's in our own lives. So when I say that, how are we to do that? How are we to build up this resistance? And I think the temptation for us is tending to the inner man in such a way that we just want to go fix it. Right? Because we just want to go fix it. And I think that's a noble desire, but if we're not careful, we can fix our eyes on fixing ourselves and completely miss the point. And if we're not careful, that's just another form of idolatry. So we say, the circumstances need to be secondary, got that, secondary, got that. Let me tend to the inner man's spiritual side. Then, all of us have the tendency to begin with ourselves. To begin with our sins, to begin with how we perceive the situation. I mean, all of that is assuming that you could even see it rightly. That's just foolish. And you'll see why in just a few moments. So the situation is fairly simple here. We need to tend to the spiritual side. That's what we learned last week. So how do we tend to the spiritual side? That's what we're going to learn this week. The first thing we need to understand is this. And this is why it's just crazy for us to begin with ourselves. And that is the inner man has great weaknesses. The inner man has great weaknesses. This is a section where you're not going to feel good about yourself, okay? Well, maybe the whole thing, but certainly not in this section. The inner man has great weaknesses. Now, the other reason we shouldn't start with ourselves when we go to to tend to the inner man is because we should always start with God. We should always understand everything in light of who God is and what God has said and what God has done. He sets the standard. He's the one that helps with reality. He's the one that defines what reality is. You and I can't do that. Ours is flawed. We're going to view situations wrongly. We're going to view our inner man wrongly. We're going to give ourselves credit where we shouldn't and we're going to not give credit to God where we should. So, all right, <clears throat> examples of weaknesses. Let's just walk through this real quick. What about the heart? So we're going to talk about three aspects of the inner man. The heart, the mind, the will. The heart, the mind, the will. The heart. Weaknesses of the heart. Here's one. We are troubled with fears. Or we are troubled with fears. Our heart is troubled with fears. Some of us more than others. But our, think about this for a second. Our hearts could be enjoying the most glorious day, and then the next second, we find ourselves creating the most horrific fears in our minds. And then we begin to be controlled by those fears. Fear that someone might say this, or fear that this might happen in the world, or who knows what the fear is. But we can even create ones that aren't even possible, and our minds still somehow believe in their possibility. 
What if my child turns out this way? What if I lose my job? I mean, some of the potentials are certainly real. But we are troubled with fears. We are troubled with anger. Thanks could be the most enjoyable, right? Like, the day could be just floating along gloriously. And you're just enjoying it. And you're like, think, I've got all the patience in the world, and I'm just as happy as could be, right? And then all of a sudden, someone says something, and you are now troubled with anger. It was going this way, and then all of a sudden, it just went, this way. We were troubled with anger. I mean, pick it. You can figure it out. There's tons of examples here. There's the two that I chose. Next, the mind. The mind. Our mind is weak. Our heart is weak. The mind is weak. We understand that the implication of Paul praying for us to have strength is that we are weak. So I'm just giving you examples. Just in case you wonder. The mind. We're troubled with doubts. We're troubled with doubts. We know the truth. So God, we at least know parts of the truth. If you've been around this church for any amount of time, you know parts of the truth at least. We know the truth, and yet there are many moments where it seems as though the truth has evaded our minds. Are we, I don't know if God really meant that when He said that. Kind of like Adam and Eve in the garden. We were troubled with doubts. We were troubled with dullness. Our minds become numb. And I would say they're dull because it has settled for the sweetness of creation instead of the glory of the Creator. Chew on that for a little bit this week. How has your mind settled for the sweetness of creation instead of the glory of the Creator? I was at a counseling class this past week and kind of hit home with me. But uh, he's talking about the reason why a lot of us don't like veggies (laughs) is because... We've grown dull to tasting their sweetness. How? Why? Because we fill it with sweet other junk, right? That tastes delicious, right? Whether that's, uh, you know, the Hershey Kisses sitting on my countertops or candy from Christmas or Mountain Dew or whatever it is or a mocha, you know? There's lots of sugar in that. And so when I sit down to eat veggies, they don't taste so sweet. They taste gross. Seriously, some of us think God and relating with God is boring or dull because we've dulled our minds with the sweetness of this world. All right, we should go on. We're we're troubled, we, I mean all-inclusive, are troubled with depression. I agree with Dr. Ed Welch, he's a biblical counselor, he says all of us struggle with some level of depression. I know if you're a macho man, you're like, no, it's not me. I don't. No, we all struggle with some level of depression. It's just a matter of to what extent. I have depressed moments. We are troubled with evil thoughts. Anybody else in here? Thoughts of the enjoyment of sin. We toy with it. So evil thoughts. And, you, and here's the deal, you want to take this mind 
and then somehow assess the rest of this mind? Come on. I'm going to really drill down on this one. We are troubled with lethargy of the mind. We are troubled with lethargy of the mind. Except to, we, you, you, here's the deal. You cannot tend to the inner man if you do not tend to the mind. To drill down on this one a little bit, I'm going to let Dr. Jones drill down on this one. I'm going to read a rather large piece. I'll try to do it in a way that captivates your attention. Here we go. <clears throat> he says this, We need to be strengthened in the mind. Also, because of the nature of Christian truth. While the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is in one sense gloriously simple, it is also true to say that it is the profoundest truth in the world. This epistle, speaking of Ephesians, to the, well, to the Ephesians is not simple. You cannot understand it in a casual manner and without effort. You cannot gallop through it. There is profound truth here and subtle argumentation. There are immensities and infinities, to quote Thomas Carlyle. You cannot take these truths at a run. Born-again people, Christian people, when they read the epistle to the Ephesians, may very well say, I do not understand it. So the mind needs to be strengthened. We are meant to apprehend truth. And we cannot do so and realize what it means and what it is telling us unless our minds are strengthened. Alas, there are many Christians who do not know this and completely fail to realize it. Not only do they not know it, they do not want to know it. Such is the Christian who says, I am a simple Christian, a plain man. I can give my witness and my testimony. I can do practical work. But these things are too hard for me. I cannot grapple with them. I'm not concerned about doctrine and theology. I believe the simple gospel. He says this, but no Christian has the right to speak in that manner. If you are making no real effort to understand this epistle to the Ephesians or all the other profound teaching in the New Testament, you're guilty of sin. This epistle was written to ordinary Christians. We are all meant to understand these things. We have no right to contract out our responsibilities and say that we want a simple message, a plain gospel. For a Christian to say that he cannot be bothered, that it means too much of an effort, that his mind is tired, and that he is busy with, the, with affairs and has many problems in daily living, that he is not a natural reader or thinker, and that he is not prepared to make an effort to understand, is to deny the Scripture. The Apostle Paul prays that the minds of these Ephesians might be strengthened in order that they might realize these higher possibilities of the Christian life and experience them and rejoice in them and so be able to bear a powerful witness and testimony to the glory of God. Intellectual lethargy is undoubtedly the greatest sin of many Christians today. They never grow in knowledge. They end where they begin. Where they begin. They never... They are always thinking about their first experiences but they have never entered into these riches to which Paul refers. They have never climbed the mountaintops and breathed the pure air of God's holy truth. 
They are content with the ordinary level. They are ignorant of the more advanced teaching because it demands an intellectual effort. Lethargy of the mind is a weakness. And just, just to be transparent, church, I struggle with lethargy of the mind. I mean, I, I know you, you look at me and you go, well, but Matt, you, you have all these degrees, you have a master's degree, you've got a library with all of these books. And Listen, I, I can't remember reading a single book in grade school with the exception of Goosebumps in sixth grade. And I made it, and, and sorry kids, don't listen to a word that I'm saying right now, okay? I graduated with a 3.2 GPA and basically never read a book. I figured out the system. I figured out if I just came to class and paid really good attention to the teacher lecturing, I'd know enough about the book to pass the test. So what I learned is I learned how to just get by on someone else's efforts. That me, mentally, I could just be lazy and let them do the teaching that's not life, and it's easy for you to do that even here, to just be dependent on Matt and Rusty doing the teaching. Uh, certainly, you, you need to depend on that in a certain sense, but not in an ultimate sense. We should be teaching ourselves the Scriptures, and that's why we do a lot of what we do even as a church is to help you do that. So, enough of that. Lethargy of the mind. Well, I, I should finish my example. I... I, I Walked through high school without reading a book. And to, to, even to my, another pastor friend of mine, both of us have similar examples. And the thing I can tell you is that um, God can strengthen your mind. Right? God can strengthen your lethargy of your mind. It's, a ma- it's really ultimately a matter of affections. It's a matter of what you love. If you love God enough, you'll go study His Scriptures. It's as simple as that. If you don't, you'll do what you love. We all do what we want to do ultimately. God changed my affections to love Him. And He's doing so in increasing measure. And you know what's corresponding with that? Is the study of His Scriptures. We shall move on. The third and final part, the will. The weakness of the will. The will is often without resolve. The will is often without resolve. We fail to do the things we know we should do. That's a weakness of the inner man. All right, let's continue. All right, so that we kind of looked at the kind of three aspects. I just wanted to make you feel as bad about yourself as I possibly could for the past few moments. I'm going to press in a little bit further. The weakness of the inner man is something that most Christians, I don't don't want to say most, many Christians never see strengthened with power through the Spirit. They're genuine Christians, they're following Jesus, but they kind of live this sort of dull Christianity. 
most Christians never reach Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. They kind of stop right here. I'm just going to pray for strength. I want to pray for strength. They never get to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. What is in verse 20? He says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. Majority of Christians, I'm even willing to say, do not get, at least in our day here, do not get to verse 20. Most Christians sort of functionally live for the Christian weekend. Sure, you don't go bounce from bar to bar and drink it up and get drunk, but, but you still live for the weekend. Even in your Christian walk, you live for the weekend. That, that your spiritual walk is totally dependent on what happens during this 60 minutes. You'll never get to verse 20 if you're depending solely on this 60 minutes. I'll give you some examples of this, what it means to not live in verse 20. We're joyless or our joy is fleeting at best. You've seen these Christians. They're in our church. That they're joyless or their joy is fleeting at best. Or that we are weary because we can't find rest. Or we are powerless at overcoming sin. That's a big one. Let me tell you, the, the, this verse 20 is not about you getting a bunch of things that you want, getting out of debt and having a nice life. If anything, it's about overcoming sin and reflecting the glory of God through His holiness in your life. Or we're ineffective at leading people to salvation in Christ. How about that? Like, do you have the power that he's talking about in verse 20 that has the kind of impact and persuasion on the lost people around you in your life? Now, I want to bring us here. This is very important. Only God can reach and cure the inner man. Only God can reach and cure the inner man. This problem, these weaknesses we're talking about, only God can reach. Only God can cure. Psychology and the like cannot fix man's problem. Man's basic nature is indeed universally and incurably flawed. Now listen, there's a place for psychology, there's a place for psychiatric help, there's a place for that. The problem is that we as Christians tend to run there first. Just listen to Caleb. No offense. All my Caleb listeners. There's lots of, oh, just think about this and everything will be okay. No, there's something fundamentally wrong with us that we need to hear. And we need God to work it. And God to do a, a magical work inside of us. We have a problem. We have a sin problem. The world has a sin problem. Now certainly there are times when we think about depression and certain things that, that medicines and stuff can help. Just, just, again, that's a circumstance that we're seeking to change. Are we tending to the inner man first? 
Because does God want to work through this first and then work through it with medicine? Okay? There's a place for it. I'm not denying it. 1 Peter 1.3, though. Let me remind you of this. This is for all of us. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be what? Born again. Born again. Born again. What's born again? The inner man. The heart. The will. The mind. The spirit. To be born again. So that inner man that's been inflicted with pain, with sin, and has inflicted sin on other people, the consequences thereof, has been born again. Doesn't mean it fixes everything. That's what we're talking about. Because we still have these weaknesses. And then he says what? Born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What is this? This kind of this divine nature that God has brought about in our lives. All right. So here we are. Weak in the inner being to withstand the sinful rebelliousness of the world and our flesh. Okay? So we need to tend then to the inner being with priority over the physical, so that we might be able to withstand the sinful rebelliousness of this world and our flesh. So how do we do it? Back to the same question. How do we do it? I'm going to give you kind of three pieces to this question, or three answers to this question. They all sort of fit together and kind of strengthen each other, okay? This is not a magical formula, nor is it very profound, Okay? First one is this. Live according to the riches of His glory. Live according to the riches of His glory. All right, let's talk about this. Verse 16, let's reread that again. That according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. Let's talk about these riches for just a few moments. These riches are ours. These riches are ours. Paul's been talking a lot about riches. That's why I wanted to reread to you the beginning of chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 3 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Does that sound like riches to you? Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places is ours. These riches are ours. Verse 4, if that's not enough, verse 4, Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. What's that? It's riches. These are riches that display His glory, the riches of His glory. How about His redemption and forgiveness? Verse 7. His making known to us the mystery of His will. Verse 9. The giving us an inheritance with His Son. Verse 11. See, the phrase His glory means that these riches belong innately to Him. Right? So we, we can't forget that. These Riches come from the very existence of God. From His glory. They display His glory. 
And Paul has spent two and a half chapters thus far describing that the riches of his glory belong to us. Not innately ours. They're not naturally a part of who we are. They're given to us. They're a a gift to us. And so these riches are ours. And second of all, we're to live according to the riches that we already have. We're talking about being strengthened. That's where this verse is going. We need to live according to the riches that we already have. Let me give you an example. In sociology, if you do any sociological work or study, there's this thing that sociologists call generational poverty. Okay? Generational poverty. Follow this with me. Or follow with me on this. So here's, the, here's what generational poverty is. People grow up in homes where there's not much financial resources and parents who probably didn't manage it well either. Not necessarily, but just imagine with me that picture. Imagine with me the picture of not much resources and not well managing it. Then the parents, what do they want? And this is, this is very common over the past, particularly the past half century. Then the parents want more for their kids, right? We want more for our kids. And so we encourage them to do what? Get good jobs and make good money. Right? Make good jobs, get good jobs, make good money. What do they do? They grow up, and this is, this is many of us even in this room right now. They grow up, they get good jobs, or they acquire a skill, whether that's through college or trade, and then they make great money. Then interestingly enough, they end up either in great debt or maybe not in great debt, but always walking around saying, we don't have the money. We don't have the money. And typically what happens is these people tend to start condemning others who do have money. But when in reality... They're crazy rich. Like they're crazy rich. They have lots of money. Like maybe not Scrooge McDuck and swimming in it, but they have lots of money. But they walk around like they're poor. That's generational poverty. They might make 70 grand a year, but they walk around like they're poor. It's called generational poverty. They have riches. But they walk around like they're poor. Because we do the same thing spiritually. We do the same thing spiritually. We deal with sin like we are poor. Like these riches aren't ours. We deal with hope for the future like we're poor. Like we have to find hope someplace else. Because these riches aren't ours. We share gospel with people like we are poor. Like there's no power, no riches that we have to offer them. We hoard money like we are poor. Myself included. We expect a handout from other people like we are poor. 
Or lastly, we serve other people so we can feel good about ourselves like we are poor. The reality is, as we're going to talk today, is that functionally, your inner being is poor. Because you have no clue the riches that you have. Now, I want to stop for just a moment and, and think about, when you think about this, if, if we're not a follower of Jesus Christ, what I mean is that you wake up each day living, submitting to Him, then you're not a follower of Jesus. And you do not have these riches. You're as poor as the homeless man under the bridge if not poorer. You're rich with temporary pleasures, but one day these pleasures will evade you. They will be gone. They will disappear. They will slip from your hands. Now these riches can be yours through the blood of Jesus Christ. And my prayer is that God would give you a heart that loves Jesus in such a way that you would repent of your sins and place your trust in Him as the one who paid the price for those sins. And follow Him each day after. But we are to live lives, church, to speak to the rest, all of us now, We're to live lives that correspond to the spiritual wealth that we have in Christ. Example. Give me an example. When we doubt, when we doubt, when we doubt our needs are going to be met, when we doubt that we can persevere like God can persevere us through this trial, when we doubt doubt things like that, does that speak of the richness of God's glory? displayed in His faithfulness. Like God, the riches of God's glory, one of those aspects is His faithfulness. So when we doubt, are we living as though that richness, that rich, those riches of His faithfulness are ours? Just one practical example. So how do we do this? Again, to... I don't don't mean to keep kicking the can down the road, but how do we do this? How do we tend to this inner man? How do we live according to his riches? The second thing I'd have you see is that strength in the inner man comes through the Spirit. Strength in the inner man comes through the Spirit. Look at verse 16. That according to the riches of his glory... He may grant you to be strengthened with power through what? Through His Spirit. Through His Spirit. In your inner being. Alright, so here's the deal. We tend to the inner being. You've got to follow me here. Like physical growth and strength, spiritual growth and strength does not come overnight. Has anyone ever gone to the gym for like a week and then you've been like, you know, nothing's changed, Right? Like, daggone it. What's the point? I mean, probably some of you just did that in the past week or so because it's 
17 days into January. <laughs> I just give up. What's the purpose? Or daggone, I gave up pop for two weeks, and I haven't lost but more than a pound. Right? I mean, that's, that's my story. <laughs> the, the gym, who needs that? Jim's Donuts in Vandalia. They're wonderful. You should go there. The nearer we come to God, listen, the nearer we come to God, the further we go from sin. Right? The nearer we come to God, the further we go from sin. Think that, keep that in your mind. Remember, the strengthening is about building up resistance to the rebellion of this world. Sin from the inside, sin from the outside to the consequences of sin. Particularly from the outside. We will not overcome these weaknesses on our own. You will never, listen, you will never know maturity in Christ until you allow the Spirit of God to do His strengthening and renewing work. You will never have the fortitude to endure to the end until you allow the Spirit of God to do this strengthening and renewing work. Now here's the deal. Every Christian possesses the Spirit. Romans 8, 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Jesus. Right? Jesus said, you shall receive power after the Spirit has come upon you. So he's saying to the disciples, looking ahead particularly to Pentecost in the beginning of Acts. So the power is there. The Spirit is there. So what's the issue? I think it's an issue of appropriation. It's an issue of, of appropriating, of applying it, of, of utilizing it, of seeing it become a reality. So if the power of the Spirit is already there to strengthen me, then what is the key to being strengthened? Here's where we're going to get super profound, okay? Super duper profound, right? What's the key? It's two parts. First one is this. Yield to the Spirit. Yield to the Spirit. I'm going to, we're going to press in on this, but yield to the Spirit. What we're getting at here is how is it that we be strengthened with power through the Spirit? Because that's what needs to happen to our inner man, is we need to be strengthened with power through the Spirit. So how do we be strengthened with power through the Spirit? First part, yield to the Spirit. Galatians 5, or 16 through 17 says this, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For, they, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So, but I say, walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. Conduct your daily life in the power of the Spirit. Conduct your daily life yielding to the Spirit. Listen, you can't just remember the Holy Spirit every so often and think that you can walk in the Spirit. It doesn't work that way. One step at a time, 
every step taken in the energy and the power, and get this, the yieldedness to the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.18, so just a couple chapters after this, says this, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with what? The Spirit. But be filled with the Spirit. It doesn't, it doesn't mean like, right, crazy and, you know, you're, you're just immobilized by the Spirit. Like, what he means is you're strengthened with power by the Spirit to do the mission. The idea here is that when he says to be filled with the Spirit, the idea that Paul is communicating is like the idea of continually being kept full. Like, let it be a constant thing. Let it be an ongoing reality that you are continuing to be filled with the Spirit. So this is very, very simple. Very, that's why I told you. It's not super profound. Yield every decision to the Holy Spirit. Yield every decision. You get up in the morning. What do you start doing once you get up in the morning? You start making decisions, right? Should I get up out of bed now? Or should I hit the snooze seven times? Well, let me back up. Should I get out of bed now or should I hit the snooze? Snooze. Should I get out of, the alarm goes off, should I get out of bed now or should I hit the snooze? Snooze, right? So, by, so not even just one decision. You made seven decisions there to stay in bed. Now, now listen to this. What might it have been? What might have happened if you would have said, okay, I'm going to go ahead and get up because what's most valuable right now is that I spend time with God. I mean, I don't know about your snooze. Mine's set for like eight minutes or nine minutes or something like that. So when I hit snooze, nine minutes. If I do that three times, what's that? Nine, 18, 30, 26. There you go, right? 20, 27, there you go. That's 27 minutes. <laughs> Maybe I could have taken a math class too. <laughs> hey Siri, what's three times nine? You know. Like, what would have happened? I mean, I know this is profound, right? What if you would have yielded to the Spirit's call to get up and spend time with Him? My goodness. It's amazing. What if you yielded to spend time with Him instead of flipping the television or clicking the key on your computer? All of which are going to burn up. All right, we should keep going. So in order to do this, in order to yield every decision to the Holy Spirit, you have to be what? Thinking about the Holy Spirit all the time, don't you? If you're going to yield to the Holy Spirit, you've got to be thinking about the Holy Spirit. I know, but a lot of you grew up in Baptist, and like the Holy Spirit is like someone we just don't talk about, right? And some of you grew up in Pentecostal, and that's all you talked about. We'll give you the balance of those two. We have to think about the Holy Spirit. Here's what I want to tell you. I think this is a worship issue. I think the reason we don't spend time thinking about the Holy Spirit all day long is because it's a worship issue ultimately. You will never be in constant communion with the Holy Spirit if you're constantly walking in communion with another God. You got that? You will not walk in communion with the Holy Spirit if you're constantly walking in communion with another God. 
Pick your God. Control, power, fear of man. Security. Whatever it is. If you're walking in communion with that, it's an either or. You'll never experience maturity and power in your walk if you're conducting your life in step with another God. Your life will continue to look more and more like that God. Instead, the more captivated we are by His glory, the less captivated we will be by sin or these other avenues. The more captivated we are by His glory, the more in step we will walk with the Spirit the more consciously aware we will be of the Spirit. This is where, I, I'm not going to go into these, but this is where when in DNA, and I know many of you have not been in DNA yet, but, but in DNA we talk about the four G's. God is great, God is glorious, God is good, and God is gracious. These are just a tool to help us get at this issue of worship instead of another God. So God is great, so I don't have to be in control. What am I replacing? I'm replacing the worship, the God of my control with the fact that God is great. I'm repenting of my control and worshiping it and living by faith that God is great. And so on and so forth, the four G's go. They're helpful, again, because they understand to overcome sin requires the captivation of our hearts worship by God. Guys, you can't just stop fearing. You can't just... Give up control. It's not going to happen. You have to yield that control to someone else. The fear has to be for someone else. Who should you fear most? You should fear God most. Who has better control? God does. He's much better at it than you. Okay, in case you haven't figured that out yet. So how do we yield to the Spirit... Or, better, or another question is, how are we captivated by His glory? So that's the question, right? So then each day, I'm supposed to yield to the Spirit. I'm supposed to do that by communing with God instead of my other God. So I should repent of these things and place faith in Him, right? So how do, how do, we, how do we do this? How do we get at doing it? I mean, the, listen, guys, the Spirit doesn't just magically give you truth. I mean, I think some of us believe that. That the Spirit's just going to magically help me understand another facet of God's wonderful character. He doesn't operate that way. The Holy Spirit does not operate that way. He operates through God's chosen mean of revelation. It's through the Scriptures. The Holy Spirit will bring to your mind the truths that have entered it through the Scriptures. For the Spirit, if the Spirit operated primarily in any other way, it would mean he, Him undermining and demeaning God's chosen means of revealing himself through the scriptures. And if you've studied the scriptures, you'd know that the Holy Spirit does nothing of the sort to undermine God's glory in the way he's chosen to do it. So then how do we do this? How do we, how do we grow in communion with the Spirit? Second profound truth, know the word of God. Know the word of God. Know the word of God. Ephesians 5, verse 18. He says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But what? Be filled with the Spirit. All right, now there's a parallel passage to this in Colossians chapter 3. It says this, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. 
It's the same thing. Let this be filled with the Spirit. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. It's the same thing. You allow the Word of God to saturate you. So as I hide the Word in my heart, as it saturates me, here's what happens. It begins to control my thinking. It begins to control my thoughts. What does the Holy Spirit do with that? He brings to mind the things that we need to hear from the Scriptures in the moment we need them to make the decision. It's magical, right? Then, listen, then when you yield to that, so here you are, you're in the middle, I've got to make a decision. And you're studying this truth, you're studying this passage, and the Holy Spirit goes, ah, oh, here's the truth that you need for this decision. And you yield to that. One step at a time, what happens? Our spiritual muscles get what? They get stronger. They get stronger. And each time, what happens? The spiritual muscle gets stronger. The spiritual muscle gets stronger. Listen, church, I just would testify to you that as you study the Scriptures and you yield to the Holy Spirit, you get stronger. I've seen it in my own life and I've seen it in many of your guys' lives. Study the Scriptures. Yield to the Holy Spirit. You say, but I, but I have to yield to the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you this. It's not enough to just get the Word of God on Sundays and in house gatherings or even both plus DNA. You say, but Matt, you get to study the Bible for a living, right? You get to do it week in and week out and multiple days a week. And, you know, and you get to do it. Here's what I would say to you. Yes, it makes a difference and you should make time too. You should make a priority too. I'm very thankful to God to be able to do that. You should make time too. Find the time. I don't even want to say, like, here's what you hear pastors say at this point. Oh, you know, just, just give him five minutes a day. No, I'm saying be radical. Like, get in your Bible. Study it. You want power? There's power in the Word. Go study it. You want to experience freedom from sin? Know the truth. You know, the problem with your marriage, the problem with your family, is not that you just need a little bit of help. It's that there's sin in your marriage. There's sin in your family. How are you set free from sin? By knowing the truth. Let's keep going. If, you're, if you've been redeemed by the blood of Christ, you live now in this broken world full of sin against God and the consequences thereof. You struggle with sin yourself. I, I do. We struggle with the sin of others crashing down on us. The body is wasting away as a result of sin. God's primary display of His glory is not in just fixing the physical world, but in fixing the eternal. Our inner being, this 
eternal part of us that will reside with Him forever. And He does this by captivating our worship and leading us into obedience. So do we want to say this? Church, ask God to give you the desire to know Him. And just know this, the way to know Him is through His Word. Ask God to give you a desire to know Him. And know that the way to know Him is through His Word. And then the rest of this stuff can fall into place. I want to bring you all to the last few thoughts here. That is this. Read with me in verse chapter, chapter 3, verse 16. It says that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. You should know what that means now. So that, or for the result that, Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Let's talk about that for a second. Nurture the inner man and Christ will be at home. Nurture the inner man and Christ will be at home. Every believer is indwelt by Christ, right? Think about this with me, right? Every believer, Christ indwells them, right? We know this. You can go read like 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5. We're not going to do that right now. So how then can the indwelling Christ be a result of being strengthened? If He's already there. This is where studying the Scriptures is so much fun, okay? This is where it's, because the issue is in the semantics. It's in the words used here. The connotation here is that of this idea of indwelling, is that of being at home there, or settled down as a family member. Think about those two different things, right? You can walk into someone's home and be in the home, or you can walk into a home and dwell there. Right? Who dwells at 3116 Axe Drive? Matt and Sarah. And four other little boys. We dwell there. We live there. I'm most at home there. For those of you in my house gathering, when you've been coming for years, like there's a sense in which you come there, and for that time, I, I hope anyways, that you feel a sense of dwelling there, like you're kind of at home there and comfortable there in our place. But for a lot of you who are not there regularly, weekly, how do you feel? Like, you probably come and you're like, you know, you know this, this isn't, you know, I don't know, really know my way around. And, you know, there's, there's not as much of a dwellingness. You don't feel as much at home there. So that's the idea here. The idea is that not simply that of being inside the house. The idea is that of dwelling. Think about when you go to a hotel. You would not consider that your dwelling place, right? Even though you're staying there. It's not your dwelling place. It's not your home. It's not your furniture. And it's rarely comfortable. Right? You're not dwelling there. The idea is of Christ making Himself at home in our inner being. But here's what has to happen. Until the Spirit controls our lives, Jesus cannot be comfortable there 
only resides as an unwelcome visitor. You understand that? So Jesus is there, but it's kind of like this. It's kind of like, if you look at your house, right, you have certain, I know in our house we have certain rooms that we always, for the most part, keep clean. That would be like our kitchen and our living room. And then we have rooms, you know, like my boys' room, I, you know, it just gets messy, right? So you walk in, and, and now ideally I'd love for it to all be clean, okay? I like, I like order, I like systems, I like things labeled, and I like, you know, all those things. I like plates that match, uh, and all those things, right? Some of you are fe- <laughs> feeling my pain. Uh, I, I like those things. Here's what God, here's what Jesus does. He comes in, he resides there, he's ours. We're sealed in the Spirit, he dwells in us. But there are different rooms of the house that we call our heart and our mind that needs cleaning. And when we're talking about being strengthened in the Spirit, walking in step with the Spirit, we're talking about cleaning out those different rooms. We're talking about Jesus feeling at home in our lives. And until the Spirit controls our lives, Jesus cannot be comfortable there. Because Jesus cannot be at home in our sin. He cannot be at home in our hearts, in our inner person, until it submits to the strengthening of His Holy Spirit. So Jesus enters the heart, the house of our hearts the moment He saves us. But he does not live there in comfort and satisfaction until it's cleaned of sin and filled with his will. And the more Jesus is at home, the more you will be captivated by his glory. And then he says this, by faith. This is done by faith. This is to encourage you all that what we're talking about doing you just can't just go do. There's faith. He cannot be fully at home until he is allowed to dwell in our hearts through the continuing faith that trusts him to exercise his lordship through the power of the Spirit in our lives. So let me put this very simply and succinctly here for you. I'm going to kind of wrap it all up with this thought. We're broken people with weak inner beings. We're called to live in the riches of His glory. Matter of fact, we will be strengthened according to those riches. It's a fact that I, a piece that I didn't hammer on today, but that the strengthen is is in comparison to the riches of His glory that are ours. So it's not just, it's not just like someone with a million dollars giving you a hundred bucks. Like, a hundred bucks is nice to have, but when you know someone had a million dollars and they only gave you a hundred, like, you're like, Oh man, like, dude, you could have at least given me a thousand, you know. So God gives us according to his riches, and we know his riches are vast. Now think about that for a moment. Like, forget the Powerball, okay? He gives us according to his riches, the riches that are already ours. Now, this looks like the kingdom, it looks like growing in holiness, it looks like bringing renovation wherever we go. Renovation, you know, not necessarily the church, but renovation of the Spirit. Then how do we do that? How do we live in the riches of His glory? We do this as we yield to the Spirit in everything we do. This happens as we worship God more consistently and more deeply. And our worship is reoriented rightly as the Scriptures dwell in us richly. 
So you want to know the power of God through the Spirit to have the fortitude to withstand sin and endure to the end? Study the Scriptures so that your worship might be reoriented where you would then seek to yield to the Spirit in everything that you do. The Spirit will strengthen your spiritual muscles one step at a time. It won't happen overnight. but one step at a time. So the inner man is, has great weaknesses and we are helpless on our own. I think this has a lot to do with the fact that the inner man is too easily satisfied. I think you're too easily satisfied. You all, many of you know the C.S. Lewis quote, our Lord finds our desires not too strong but, but too weak. We have half-hearted, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Think about that as you yield decision by decision each day. Are you being too easily pleased? 18 more minutes sleeping? Is that being too easily pleased? We need to be strengthened by the Spirit. We are strengthened by the Spirit as we consciously yield to His Lordship in our lives. And we do this by filling our minds with the Word of God. And this results in a heart captivated by the glory of God. It creates a heart that isn't willing to settle for the creation when it can have the Creator Himself. Ultimately, the Word of God is meant to inspire worship of God. As we prepare for communion this morning, Communion is meant to do the same thing. Communion says, Jesus says this, do this in remembrance of me. What's he saying? What are we remembering? Think about this with me. What are we remembering when we do communion? What are we fixing our eyes on? That's what it means to remember something, is to to gaze upon, to to bring it back to memory, to, to think upon it, to fix our eyes on it. What are we fixing our eyes on? Just a sample. God's mercy displayed on the cross. God's justice satisfied on the cross. God's grace and pardon to us sinners. We see that on the cross. We see God's faithfulness on the cross. We see God's love for His people on the cross. What is all of that? It's a display of the riches of God's glory. It's meant to captivate our hearts and tune them to sing His praise. It's a display of His great grace, His great glory. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I mean you walk in step with the Spirit every day. Not perfectly, but in general. Let me encourage you, if you do not do that, I want to encourage you just just to watch. Watch as God has orchestrated this wonderful opportunity for His people to once again be reminded of His glory and so be captivated by Him. When we do communion, this is our goal. So do you want strength to resist the rebelliousness of this world, both inside you and outside you? Do you want that? Church, look at me. Do you want that? Does that sound good? 
Does that sound delightful? Like, do you even want that? Walk in step with the Spirit. Yield decision by decision. You do this by filling yourself with the Word. And what, what happens as we fill ourselves with the Word? We see God's glory on display that it might captivate the worship of our hearts. So believer, it's the last thing I'll say. If you're a follower of Jesus, take communion this, take communion this morning. Be captivated by Him. Walk in step with the Spirit and be strengthened with the power to endure. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. I'm going to ask those who are serving communion to go ahead and come forward now. Uh, go ahead, even right now. Um, go ahead and come forward. That way the band can do their on the way up to the stage. But Christian, be captivated. Walk in step. Remember in these next few moments His great glory. I'm going to pray for us as they come forward. Father, our hearts are so easily captivated by many things. We're captivated by easy, cheap thrills. Whether that's the television or control or a cute little family, whatever it is, Father, we are so easily pleased. Let us deny that satisfaction only to have ultimate satisfaction in your great glory, Father. The one who can fill us perfectly and eternally. Father, give us a desire for strength in the Spirit. Give us a desire for this power that Paul speaks of. Power to overcome sin. Power to live in your abundance, Father. Give us a desire for such things. Take away the satisfaction that we have found in your creation, only to be, only that we'd be satisfied in you, our Creator. Father, let us remember the work of your Son Jesus on the cross. Let us remember your glory on display for us to see. And Father, we give you praise for that. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.